Hello everyone, uh, welcome to episode 23 of Tennis with an Accent. Uh, normal service resumes with Anand and Saqib. Uh, Saqib was away uh, at the Miami Open as a reporter and so he has a lot to share with us about his experience. So uh, today's podcast it's going to take a bit of an interview form and I'll be asking uh, Saqib some tough questions on his experience in uh, Miami and what it felt like to be in a room with some of the brightest stars, uh, including Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. So, Saqib, you were there at the Miami Open, and maybe we should start at the very beginning. How did this whole thing come about? I mean, why why become a reporter? Uh, you're being too kind. Reporter is a very, I think, a strong word here. <laughs> I think I fell under the umbrella of uh, media credentials, which had many categories. And uh, first of all, big thank you to Miami Open Media team for uh, giving us the opportunity with, uh, you know, considering our fairly new body of work. So they showed this uh, confidence. And after I, I pretty much had to explain why I need to be there. And uh, I also want to put out there, I mean, you were so, you know, definitely missed. I mean, I would have, uh, it would have been much better experience if, we we had walked the grounds together, but uh, there's always a next time after this. No, I'm looking forward to it, and I I hope that this is uh, this is the beginning of uh, many such tournaments for us as a team uh, to cover tennis with an accent. I hope we'll be there in uh, some of the majors as well. Um, but Sakib, so you you got there in Miami, and and what was it like? I mean, walk us through uh, maybe just your first first impressions of, uh, you know, being in the press room and, and meeting some of these uh, players? It was, I mean, uh, to be honest, I was, of course, intimidated because I've always attended, you know, many events, even with you at the Open and uh, Montreal and Hall of Fame in Newport. So this is a different experience going in, in restricted areas. So after collecting our credentials, we were late uh, because of the Key Biscayne traffic. We got there and then... Uh, uh, Again, a lot of rookie mistakes. I didn't request for a workspace. I thought that came, uh, it was a given, but you had to request for it. How do, how do you know these things? I mean, uh, do they do you get to uh, ask uh, the organizers what, what are the things you need to prepare for? Or? Yeah, there's some sort of a welcome help desk in the media center and then you go pretty much check yourself in. And, uh, and the coolest thing was like six, seven minutes after I checked in, Nick, Le- Nick Lester was checking in behind me and I'm saying, holy shit, this is, you know, there's no way we should be Sharing a workspace, but again, this, you know, this he, is Nick Lester, the legendary commentator. Yeah, the Nick Lester, yeah. The Nick Lester, who we, are, by the way, hope to have on our program. Yeah, that's the plan. I mean, you know, like I was a uh, pretty shameless. I approach almost, you know, whoever I could. Who, you know, again, I even bought my Becker book, thinking Becker would be there. My first book from 1987, but uh, I was told the moment Andy Murray withdrew, uh, British TV was not going to come in. They will just uh, call in matches from UK. I see. And and so you you saw you rub shoulders with the, with the elites with the with the very best. What about the players? Who who was the first player that you caught sight of? Uh, when we were walking, uh, just getting uh, familiarized with the setting, I saw Burdick and then uh, Nishikori and Sanya Mirza. And my friend who was with me, he didn't even recognize Nishikori. He just walked by. I say, I've seen this guy. I say, yeah, this is K. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, as fans, I mean, we've been to so many tennis tournaments. We see these players. They walk past us. Did you feel different now? This time you're going in a different capacity and you're seeing the same players and you probably expect to see them over and over again. 
Yeah, I'll be honest. I have to get used to the fact because, uh, you know, at the open, we've always glanced and walked by the restricted area. So, and then uh, my friend who accompanied me also wanted to make sure that his experience as a fan is not compromised. And after the introduction, the way this works is uh, there's a WTA desk and an ATP desk. And you have to fill out uh, interview request form. And uh, in my case, you know, I made it clear to them that I'm, you know, podcast unit and would prefer one-on-one time. And one-on-one time is called a feature time. Anytime a player wins, uh, he or she is obligated if she or he is requested for an interview. It could be in a small room. And the feature is uh, depending on if the player is in doubles, uh, you know, they may or they may not want to do it. So my run, uh, my luck was uh, running pretty slick with the WTA. Every girl I requested for lost. And uh, I was focusing more on the ATP. So the first day and a half, I did not get any uh, one-on-one interviews. But then I did attend the Francis TFO presser, and that's when it all changed. I see. And who was your first, who was your first uh, one-on-one conversation? Uh, my first one-on-one conversation is uh, Timia Babosh. Uh, you know, uh, after she won in doubles, uh, she uh, agreed for a one-on-one feature. And then I wrapped the event with another one-on-one with uh, Svetlana Kuznetsova. That is awesome. I mean, I'm seriously, uh, uh, you know, kicking myself for not being there, Sakib. I have to say that you got to speak with, um, you know, almost every player on the tour. I don't want to, well, I'm going to bring it up, Sakib. I have to, because you actually asked a question of the great Roger Federer, and he gave us a two-minute answer on it. It's on our website. But what was that like going into that press room and preparing for that moment and then asking him that question? You know, like that was always at the back of the mind uh, that the moment I attended TFO. So I was learning, you know, very quickly how it works. Uh, The ATP team or the WT team, uh, whoever's player is being uh, addressed in the room, they come first to the mic testing. So as good students, I would always be the first one. I read that room when the announcement was made. Unlike in school where you're always in the back bench. Yeah, definitely. So (laughs) I sat in the front and then uh, one Francis TFO came and uh, I just kind of appreciated, you know, what a guy like him is going through. He was scheduled to meet TV and then a one-on-one interview. So I was thinking, you know, what what's the time demand of a Federer or Nadal or a Venus or a Djokovic? And then uh, next day, I started with uh, Kane Nishikori and uh, Milos Raonic. And uh, I got, I think, uh, it's on the Miami website, I got four questions each with both guys. So that, was, uh, that really get, gave me some confidence. And uh, then finally, the big moment came and Rafa Nadal came. And then I could see the atmosphere in the room change. A lot of reporters almost doubled what I've seen combined for every single player up till then. And then there was a different energy. The ATP rep, by her body language, made it pretty clear that everyone's just getting one question with Rafa in English, and then there was a Spanish contingent. I tried my luck for the second question, but was politely declined. And the moment that was over, I knew I had a shot tomorrow against Federer. Maybe one Mm -hmm. question, and then my mind changed after that. I was just thinking continuously what to ask him. And then, like, I had reached out to you many times, you know, call your work line for other questions. So I had a couple of questions with Roger in mind. And then I reached out to my buddy, uh, Florian. And uh, he said my questions were good, but they were already asked in Indian Wells. Then he threw a couple of questions. I was sitting in traffic. We were texting. And then finally, he gave this question, which I ultimately asked. So, yeah, I mean... Those of you who haven't heard what Sakib's talking about, uh, do check out the website. There's a there's a small um, um, mini-podcast where Sakib actually plays out that question and you can also hear Roger's response. Um, so 
So Roger answers that question of yours. That that must have given you a, a big high. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And did did that just give you the boost to go and do all the other one-on-one interviews after that? No, after that, I mean, you know, let's let's be honest. I mean, I won't even pretend that it's still normal. Like I told you when I called you back, if the podcast ended that very minute, I mean, I would have been very happy. The only grudge was, you know, you should have been there. So we have to chase him again. But uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen Roger in 10 years. Last I saw him was playing uh, live was against Isner at the 2007 US Open. So finally, uh, let me also share some, uh, the media room opens into the lower promenade of the center court. And uh, day before, we were observing how you, know, you can go in and no one's really questioning, even though with my credentials, I could get through one door, but my cameraman was not allowed in either. But we saw Nadal and Nishikori play and the entire media gallery was empty. Nobody checked. So next day, uh, uh, my cameraman wasn't there, but I was texting him. I said, dude, today they are checking. And with Federer, when he walked in, that two media sets were full. And as media person, we were advised not to take our cell phones. And Anand, I'm not kidding you. Every person in the media room when Federer walked into the center court, they took their... It, it was just like, you know, as expected. Yes. And security taking pictures. I mean, I've been to many tennis events, but this uh, comeback of Roger at Miami, you had to be there. And then... Things are interesting because I'm watching Roger for the first time live and all of a sudden I go get water. The WTA rep told me Babush is ready and I'm saying, holy, uh, I don't want to miss Roger because uh, not missing him, uh, watching him play, but I want to attend his interview. And and this is where you tell me you saw Babush standing right next to you taking a picture of Roger as well. No, no, that that, that did not happen. And then uh, I'd also requested for Jaziri because he's another guy I was following in before the tournament started and he got extended in a third set with Lopez. So this is a mix zone interview, which I have with Jaziri on the side. So everything came down and then I'm nervous. I don't want to miss Roger because Nadal came right after and TFO came 40 minutes after. So I was not sure when Roger will come, but I cannot go back on my WTA commitment. So I'm waiting for Jaziri, eight minutes to Babosh and Roger is down a break. So I'm saying, okay, at least I'll get Roger. And my phone's not working. And all of a sudden Jaziri comes and I told the guy, can I go first? Because he said, no, no, you're the only one who requested him. So wow. Jaziri is a very nice guy. He comes and puts his arm around my shoulder and I'm getting my recorder set. And then I look at him nervously. He said, what language? And I said, excuse me? He said, what language? So he's very funny. And then uh, I had questions with him in English and he gave full detailed reply in three, I think three questions I got with him. And then I shook his hand, wish him luck. And then I ran to the WTA uh, small press room and Babosh was walking in just in time. And my phone com- came back to life. And then I hear Roger is done. And I say, okay, this is going to be really close if he comes directly. Uh-huh. But I was prepared. Babosh was one of my targets before I went there. So I had good questions for her. And then uh, I made a blunder. I screwed up her country during the questions. And then she told me, you never co- call uh, Hungarian. Hungarian that she's from Romania. Yes. So that was embarrassing. And I planned to keep that moment because, you know, that was a, a holy shit moment. But, you know, it, it's there. So... Yeah, we wrapped there, uh, and then Babosh thanked for the interview, very gracious for time. And then I went to the press room, and they say Roger Federer will be here in 18 minutes. And I'm sweating. Then I'm still assuming this this this, this played out like a movie, Sakib. It I is. mean, it it truly is a mo- like a thriller. I mean, you're you're recounting every minute, and I got goosebumps oh, yeah. listening to this. So then two minutes remaining, and then they had done the mic testing, and now I'm I've rehearsed Florian's question five six times. And I'm thinking sometimes, like I stutter on the podcast when I get excited, I shouldn't do that. I should just air the question properly. And then obviously they say Roger Federer is coming. And then, you know, like, <laughs> I don't even know what that you know moment meant. So I'm saying, okay, I'm not going to go first. And of course, 
after Nadal, what I've seen, this room was full. This has the most attendance, and they were like, of course, some Swiss media, and uh, there were a couple of guys who have written books, and uh, so I decided to wait for the first question, and first question was about TFO, and then I said, you know what, who knows if the lightning will strike, so I just put my arm for the, raised my arm for the uh, microphone, so I got the microphone, and then you heard the question in 2 minutes 21 seconds. And uh, that was my date with Tennis Destiny. Two minutes, 21 seconds. That will stay with you for a while. But uh, I have to say, it's it's the beginning of something for us. And I mean, I, I think it signaled a moment. Saqib, you called me uh, after you spoke with Roger. And, uh, you know, the person that was with me, she said I sounded like a teenager screaming uh, on the phone when I heard about, uh, you know, heard about your uh, question to Roger. And I'm sure you were equally excited oh, at yeah, the other end. Absolutely. Right? I mean... But but really, for us, I think this is this is huge because, I mean, we have been speaking with some Grand Slam champions. We've been speaking with uh, some top tennis players. But this is a huge break and it, it takes our podcast to, to uh, I think, along a different course as well. Now we're able to cover actual events um, where we are getting to see these players in person and actually get their, uh, you know, get their opinions live. Uh, which I think, which is uh, phenomenal for our podcast. Yeah, and you know, the, considering the company you were keeping there, I was nervous of what kind of questions I have. But then there were a lot of people covering, I think, local newspapers and people were writing books. So a lot of time the press conference would go uh, out of, you know, course, like a question was asked of Nishikori, but then, you know, you, you realize that everybody's there for a different reason. So I also got to ask Nishikori my favorite question, why does he get the 11 a.m. start? And he said he's pretty lousy at waking up in the morning. It's just done for TV. He would always want to play later in the day. Mm-hmm. And that is a topic I think we should pick up at some point is why some players some players should get more of a preference. Especially if you're in the top 10 like Nishikori, you would think there's some fairness that needs to be attributed. But um, So tell me about the other, the other reporters. I mean, so how did you feel about the general IQ, the tennis IQ of the, the crowd out there? Because I, I'm, I'm coming to a specific point. But let me first hear from you on what you think. Uh, general IQ of the crowd or, or the, 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 the press room? The, the, the press room. <laughs> Look, in, in the beginning, you know, you're just trying to also not sound stupid. You have to absorb the environment, what people are asking. And uh, I'm sometimes, you know, I, I'm a shaky starter. But the moment I spoke with Kay and then Milosh, I knew I can hang here. But at the same time, I, I was also aware uh, there were a lot of names that I expected. And then I found out like the big names come later in these tournaments. So not to shortchange anyone. I was a rookie there. So I think I, you know, as, as far as like legit questions, I held my own. Uh, I'm not trying you, to you more, you more than held your own. I'll say this because and what I'm coming to is at the end of the Miami Open final, the first question that was asked to Rafa, as you know, Saqib. Oh, that was a joke, yeah. That was a reporter saying congratulations on his win. and um, He said, I lost. And she said, yeah, but still a win. Still <laughs> a win. And that kind of ignorance kind of uh, came through. And I started wondering, man, couldn't we have had a few more Saqibs out there asking these questions <laughs> on the behalf of true fans who are really following the sport? Actually, this Anand, is a very good point that you raised because uh, I don't know if you remember last year or the year before, Thomas Burdick had lost to Gilles Simon yes. uh, in Wimbledon and he lost 3-3-2. And someone said, uh, talking about the next match and the win, and Burdick just asked, looked at the ADP rep, he said, is he making fun of me? So there are people, I guess, you know, who just, you know, like any field, would take this presence for granted. And obviously then you make such a fool of yourself if you're not prepared. You don't know the result of the match. That's just like the 
saddest thing you can do out so there. I, and I, I think, I mean, for, I, I'll give Miami Open kudos for taking uh, a risk, right? Uh, with bringing in a relatively unknown podcaster into this, into this room. Um, but at the same time, I have to say Miami Open should probably be screening some of the more established organizations that send their reporters because they probably are not professional tennis reporters. And, and this is why they end up in these situations. Even uh, the Mariana Lucic interview, which is the only interview that I haven't aired, which was my first interview at Miami Open, even before TFO in a small room. Even there, I mean, she's such a story. And uh, I don't follow WTA as much as, as I should, but she's such a story even I knew going in. And then in that interview, somebody still managed to ask her about her clothing apparel. And that was just, you know, she answered it, but that just showed me, I, I guess everyone's working a different angle. And uh, sometimes they're not interested because the first protocol is you talk about the match then the future and then maybe throw in a generic question and uh, she was a great chat I mean, I mean I'll still try to see if uh, we can make it relevant because it's old news now it's been two weeks away if you can somehow put that recording out there and so you also spoke uh, on the women's tour you had a chance to speak with uh, Svetlana Kuznetsova um, you had a question for uh, Pliskova you spoke with Venus Williams um, who who impressed you particularly in in a, in a conversation? I was uh, very impressed with uh, Johanna Conta when she came in. And I was one of the, I think uh, it was like ma- mainly British press and then uh, a couple other people and myself. And I couldn't get into the flow because she was answering such good questions. And one question that I had was already asked by someone. Then I had to throw in a generic question, which uh, again, I had help from a friend. And then I asked her about the coaching on-court coaching and uh, she was really surprised by that question but then she did a, did give a very good answer and then I also managed to ask her about surfaces and she said as a player she em- embraces all fast and slow courts and uh, but I think that was a very spontaneous interview I was just impressed with the quality if, if you remember we uh, picked Johanna I picked Johanna Conta to win uh, the Indian Wells tournament and, and I, I picked her to win Australian Open and I'm I'm <laughs> glad she came through finally I mean she's definitely one for uh, one for the future and um, she's probably going to win a slam this year the way she's playing right now yeah she definitely I mean uh, assuming deliver. Serena Williams is <laughs> is not coming in the way uh, so let me ask you about Rafa. That that was the other uh, press that you said. Uh, what is the dynamic there? I mean, what's the how does how is the energy different from say a Roger Rafa uh, setting versus say the others? You know, Rafa. I was I wanted to talk about. I asked him the question about Moya and if there's a uh, uh, conscious effort to shorten the points because Rafa can play that you know aggressive forehand. He didn't really want to address that answer. He said Carlos going to be on bench. He did his eyebrows. You know, he only rolled his. <laughs> and you know, t- typical Rafa manners. But then in the end, I was happy that he was shortening the points after the Kohlschreiber win. So he was, there's emphasis back on the So serve. you gave him that idea pretty No, much. no, I mean, uh, who am I to give the idea? I think he was working on it. I just was lucky to ask that question. <laughs> you might as well take credit. <laughs> but I want to share one uh, instance in the second round when I spoke with Rafa again. Uh, just kind of things that we know and we take for granted. Uh, this famed Australian uh, writer, Craig Gabriel, was there and he was asking the same question he asked. Uh, uh, Roger, and then he asked the same question next to Rafa if uh, at this stage in their career it's more about winning titles or becoming number one. And Rafa did not understand the question, so he had to ask the ATP rep and she translated the question. And still Rafa did not give, I think, the answer Craig was looking for. So that kind of made me appreciate how vulnerable a superstar like Nadal is, even though he speaks multiple languages, he needs help. And a lot of times, you know, you just don't realize 
uh, how words that come out of their mouth could be misconstrued and you know it's just it was just that observation i felt that he needed help mm-hmm. you know so makes him look very human and and he's come a long way if you think about that this this is a guy who didn't speak a whole lot of english yeah. when he started out and to get to this point it's it's a journey for him it's a learning curve for him in a different sort oh, of yeah, i mean he's a very polished guy but i'm just was more appreciative like sometimes what we take for granted from these guys uh, and i was reading the borg book when i was on the plane and uh, borg said something that stuck with me as my mantra for my emmy open he said he speaks in a second language so he would always be short and secondly if a good journalist is asked has watched the match why is he asking the basic questions so my goal was not to be stupid in those press conferences well at least you didn't do what the other journalists did which which congr- who cong- congratulated Ra- yeah, rafa on the win come on i mean i'm not cocky <laughs> but i mean that's just ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, so um, th- so this was a great experience. So t- tell us a little bit about the matches you watched. Which which of the matches ca- stood out to you? And maybe we'll we'll pick one, and you can you can tell us um, um, why that was different from anything else. I mean, I was a curious fan uh, for quite some time, but this uh, tournament solidified what he brings. And I think I already spoke that uh, briefly in the first uh, Miami podcast I did. So I was just impressed the way this guy is. He has a different meter. You know, while practicing, he's checking the crowd, and then he's so serious when the game is on. And this is the doubles match, and this guy has—he's oozing of talent now. It's a little too late because we all know how closely he played Roger, and he's such a big match player. So, and he's very polite with ball kids. And uh, you know, this is Nick Kyrgios. Uh, you know, he definitely does a lot of things that you know we don't agree a lot of times. But he's like one guy who every time I was courtside his match, he's saying thank you, and you could see he's just very polite with the kids and even the crowd. But then he does drop the f bomb and someone's interfering, and uh, and he doesn't get along with Fergus Murphy, and he's very open. He said, you know, uh, you don't give this kind of violation to everyone. So, you know, it's something I I mean, having watched uh, tennis in different tournaments, uh, one of the things that stand stands out to me is there's some people that just have that aura, the star quality, the way they carry themselves in public. Whether they're acting British or whether they're acting, you know, like Roger, being all regal, um, it, it, they just stand out. These players, some of them that have that extra something, um, and so, uh, many of them, it, it comes naturally to them. But now, if you look at players like even Djokovic and Murray, they have that quality now because I think of who they become or the confidence they have in them. Uh, it just seems to be that way with Kyrgios as well. I think Kyrgios, uh, I don't know if he'll ever become that kind of a champion. He has a talent, but a lot has to go right in terms of focus and, you know, his drive. But as far as just the total package is concerned, I think he he oozes he personality. I think he's combined more than Djokovic and Murray ever put together. I mean, this is like Safin, Makino, Nastasi, you know, along those lines. This yeah, guy definitely. is on his own, you know. He has his own rules. He's writing in a different ink than anyone else. And it would be a tragedy if this guy didn't go on and win multiple slams. When I spoke briefly with him uh, in the mix zone, because I stayed, I had a choice between him and Del Potro, and I had requested for him, so I stuck with Kyrgios. I watched the whole match, then I was waiting for him in the mix zone, and then he was pretty candid. He said two years ago he would have lost the Shumur match because he didn't start off well. He was serving, there was no rhythm, he was double faulting, but then he's, his new mantra is point by point. He's in there for the long run, and uh, he wants to show everyone that, you know, it's heading in the right direction. I see. And so... I also wanted to ask you about Malik Jaziri. Uh, so you you picked him as your one-on-one, but what about him that impressed you? I mean, did you watch any of his matches? 
you know, this is a name that's been around since, uh, I think, Dubai 2013. He took a set of Federer. And uh, he's, I think, the highest-ranked Arab guy. But I knew, like, he's uh, he's playing well coming in. Especially, he reached, I think, the fourth round Indian Wells against he Sock. He lost to Sock. Yeah. yeah. So, I wanted to keep a tab on him. And his draw was something that was winnable. Because he had a Feliciano Lopez who's kind of sliding. And Jaziri's on the up. And then he his tricky match was against a dog. And uh, Dolgopolov pulled out with an elbow injury after the first set. Won by Jaziri. So, since then, you know, like, uh, I was pay- playing focus. And I kind of predicted uh, with my... My friend that, uh, you know, Jaziri will win against Lopez and, you know, we should apply for the interview. Mm-hmm. Because if he loses, he won't. He doesn't have to do the interview. So, he's one guy, again, he's a late bloomer at 33. Even Gimelstab was saying the culture he came from, there was uh, no gym and fitness associated with tennis. So, this guy is really coming into his own now. And I'll, I won't be surprised if we see Malik Jaziri uh, ending the year with around 25 or 30 range or even higher. Oh, wow. Okay. So, that's, that's a big call. I mean... Do you, do you feel like he's he's got a game that will help him on the clay courts, uh, given the season that's coming up? I mean, he's only won, what, 38 matches in the Pro Tour. So, it's hard to pick size. But he told me he likes all the courts. He grew up on clay. So, what I saw with him is he's doing, like, these lot of heavy serves. And it's not very fast. It's like 109, 115 range. But he's hitting the lines. And his movement has improved. And his ground strokes. Uh, I think he's just solid 25 to 40 guy right now. He's probably ranked slightly above that, but I think yeah, he, he just is solid. He's not losing points, so I, I'm very keen to see his progress for the rest of the year. So this sounds like a wonderful experience, Akib. I think with with every experience you narrate, I feel like I've missed more and more. Um, no, there's more the motivation now. You know, <laughs> you should. I I I can't wait to go to the next event, uh, and I hope uh, another tournament gives us a break like Miami Open did. Um, but before we close on this topic, I wanted to ask you if you had to change something about the way you prepped for this, uh, you know, for this opener, there's something you needed to know ahead of time. What would that be? I mean, there's no substitute for experience. It's a cliche, but, uh, you know, I, I, I went prepared. I, you know, as a, as a fanboy, I was hoping, you know, in my mind, I was hoping I'll see Becker. So these kind of things, you know, you don't know how it's going to work. And I was not even sure that I will get a shot at Roger because I was expecting the word times and all these people to be there. But I guess these people come late and if they're doing TV, they probably don't even attend the pressers. So I, I definitely know what not to do. And uh, uh, one thing I wouldn't do again is I first day I put four or five names requests and I guess that didn't sit well with the ATP. And they said only one email per day and we can see what we can do. But... Uh, the reps were very nice after. They worked closely with me. And hopefully, if our paths cross again, I've left an impression. So, mm. they will give me a one-on-one next time. And, and that's what I heard um, you said. Because Netsova was very impressed with, with the interview. Um, uh, when when you left, she actually complimented some of the questions that, that you had asked. Yeah, I mean, that'll be like... Uh, I mean, that was just strictly for you, not for the audience. <laughs> like beating my Why own. not? <laughs> no, I, I was saying my goodbye. So, I met this gentleman... Uh, Jeff Watson, I think he's uh, one of the reps who accompanied a few players uh, in the Kuznets over one of them. So I just said thanks for the opportunity and I want to apologize if I was being too pushy because every day I would go to the desk and see what the status is for a potential interview. And he said, no, you did a great job and Sweta was happy. And a lot of times people come request these interviews and they're not prepared. So that was like a pat on my back and I, you know. That's awesome. I mean, I, I mean, for all of you who are listening to the podcast, there is one particular episode where Sakib recorded a solo. Uh, that was the first Miami Open podcast. And uh, it, it was, uh, in my mind, 
uh, it was the best podcast we have done uh, because it was a raw take of a fan who was attending this tournament, a major tournament, as um, you know, as a as a reporter, as I say, and and Sakib's emotions and Sakib's thoughts right at that moment were recorded in that podcast. So for those of you who haven't checked it out, I would urge you to go back and look at that particular podcast episode. Uh, but overall, um, this was very exciting for us as a team, and, uh, and and I think we're looking forward to many more of these. So before we switch topics, let me ask you a question, because you know, you've know you been my go-to guy for WTA, and you follow the sport more balancedly than I do, and I'm back in the WTA frame of mind after this tournament. I think there are a lot of great stories. What do you think is one uh, aspect, a couple of aspects, that separates the ATP right now uh, than WTA in terms of popularity? I just think it. I mean, I, I. I mean, I hate to say the obvious, but right now, at the very top of the the totem pole, you have three or four all-time great players competing against each other. Um, on the other side, in WTA, you only have one true great player who's at at her peak, uh, which is Serena Williams. Uh, Venus Williams is playing respectably well, but she's nowhere in a position to compete for slams. Um, I mean, against someone like a Serena. I think that quality and the lack of rivalry uh, in women's tennis has been hurting. I think uh, that side of the uh, that side of the aisle. But I have to say this though. I mean, Nick Kyrgios and Zverev look very promising. There's a whole lot of youngsters coming down the pike. But there is going to be a similar phase in men's tennis too. I mean, Roger and Rafa, Joker and Murray, they, they're not going to go on forever. Even though it seems like it, I can easily see in three or four years. If Kyrgios or Zverev don't come through, there's going to be that similar kind of a gap. And who knows, at that point, women's tennis might start looking more exciting. But, you know, the, the younger ones coming through, like CC Bellis and uh, Svitolina, uh, once they break Osaka through. is a great personality. Now, I mean, Osaka. And so, you might just see the, the scales tip in WTA's favor. Um, but right now, I think the lack of that rivalry at the top is really hurting women's tennis. Um, I just want to go back a few years and you had players like Hingis, Kleisters, Moresmo, uh, Moresmo Venus Williams at, at her peak, Lindsay Davenport, all of these playing together at the same time competing for slams. That's exactly what it feels like in men's tennis today, which is you don't really know which of the top four is going to be winning a slam or is there going to be a Wawrinka who's going to come and steal, steal a slam right now. Women's tennis, it almost seems like number 25 has almost the equal chance of winning this thing as number three or four. And that, I think, while it's great for parity in the early rounds, it's not great for great uh, for the audience to follow. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with the rivalry part because uh, the era you mentioned, uh, the big rivalry for a couple of years was Justine Anna and Serena Williams. That That's a spark that's needed. Maybe like a Pliskova or someone, you know, maybe Azarenka comes back. You know, someone has to just you know, play a couple of back-to-back finals to make it uh, for a more compelling theater. I mean, WTA is not far behind, but I think they're just missing a rivalry, you're right. And someone with charisma, someone with, with a lot of uh, personality, I think. And this is why even here, ATP right now is looking good with, with the likes of Kyrgios and Zverev. Uh, but again, uh, women's tennis does start sooner than men's. I mean, you have 16, 17-year-olds making a mark uh, in, in, in women's tennis, and we may just... We may not be seeing that player yet, but they might quickly come through in the next three or four years. Hmm. So before we sign off, there's one last thing I wanted to ask uh, Sakib. Uh, as Indian tennis fans, 
there's been this crazy episode, this fight between Mahesh Bhupati and Leander Pace. Um, what's happened, let me quickly recap, is uh, Mahesh Bhupati, who's the captain for India's Davis Cup team, um, did not pick Leander Pace um, as the doubles option on the team. And Leander is a legend in Davis Cup. And um, and so he obviously was very peeved and he left early before the, the tie was finished. He left uh, the team. And he I, was not on the team, so he had every right to leave. He right? had every right to leave. And and Mahesh Bhupati actually made their WhatsApp conversation public. This is as juvenile as it gets, by the way. And Leander said something in return. And so it's it's been, uh, what I would say, a pissing match between the two of them. And uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, why is it so messed up? I think it's uh, it's personal. And uh, it keeps going back to the same old topic that, you know, uh, ignited in the 2012 London Olympics when both of them wanted to play with uh, Bopanna and Mirza, respectively, in men's and mixed. And uh, this is something that's been going on between these two. And I'm not saying that any ego is good, but honestly, they both are, you know, in the part of their lives when it's someone has to mature. Pais is looking at retirement. Bhupati is the non-playing captain. I mean, you look at any way, this is just like, this is not what Indian tennis needs. This is just like... It's not. And and for it's me... It's absurd theater, I mean. For me, these two are like, two are legends of doubles tennis. I mean, I'm not just saying Indian tennis. Leander Pace is one of the most successful double player, doubles players of all time. Mahesh Bhupati is up there as one of the great doubles players. And it's it's unfortunate that they have to come down to this kind of behavior what I would suggest is really start showing each other some respect. I mean, respect each other for what you've done on the, in the sport. And they keep saying they play for the country and they keep undermining, you know, they, they just make it more personal. And, and, and honestly, uh, the country no doesn't room. look great. when, no, when There's no room for that. I mean, first of all, you're playing in the qualifying of the Davis Cup and you're making such a bad name. You're putting the tennis on the newspapers for the very wrong reasons. And it's happened once before at the Olympics as well. Um, I, I just have one message for these guys. Guys, go look on the women's side. Sanya Mirza is a huge double star. Uh, she's a global star. And she's really comporting herself very well. You don't see this kind of drama playing out on the women's side. You don't, but you don't have an equal. I mean, who knows how the plot would have been if there was a Mahesh Bhupati to a Sanya Mirza's, you know. Well, believe it or not, Sanya has been dragged into some of this stuff at times. But, you know, like who is going to play mixed doubles with Sanya at the Olympics, for yeah. instance. And Sanya has always acted, I, I would say, with class uh, in these kinds of situations. And it would behoove, I would, Lee and Hesh to follow her footsteps for once. I mean, I'll be happy if, if we never hear from either of them in terms of, I think, uh, I, I'm uh, okay with what Anand Amritraj said that the future is now going to be Bopanna till whenever he wants to play. And Leander definitely deserves a better exit. How old is Bopanna? I mean, okay, he's not 43. <laughs> <laughs> futures with India's tennis yeah. futures with a 35-year-old doubles player. Yeah. That is that is a sad state yeah, right now. We have now. 19-year-olds in Maracay winning you know, against Marcel <laughs> Granellers today. And uh, we're talking about like, you know, a 43 and a 34-year-old in doubles. Yeah, Indian yeah. tennis needs some resurrection. Um, I was looking up, by the way, the Indian tennis rankings. Uh, the highest-ranked young player, a 20-year-old. Uh, well, Yuki is 25, so there's Sumit Nagal, who's uh, ranked in the top 350, which is not a bad thing because at, at, at 19 and 20, if you're in the top 350, you got some upside. Hopefully, in the next couple of years, you'll break into uh, the top 100. Uh, so, 
that's that's who I'm looking out for in Indian tennis. But uh, right now, things are looking pretty bleak. I mean, I'm looking at someone like Jaziri's uh, uh, success. Maybe it can rub, rub on. Because I think Yuki Bamri is, a, uh, I think, best player India has had in the last few years. He's injured, but he's definitely... Former junior number one yeah. and Australian Open champion. I mean, this guy could be top 100. Maybe, you know, he could live there from 70 to 100, I think. if uh, he, I mean, I'm sure fitness is one. And if uh, I don't know like what his coaching scenario is, where he trains. But I've seen him in the Australian Open qualifying. And he, he looked pretty good. But, you know, he looked like he belonged with some of those guys. He was playing Escobedo in a very close match. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. And uh, the top-ranked Indian player is Ram Kumar Ramanathan, who... I mean, again, he's not probably not going to be top 100, but he is. Uh, he has shown some impressive results um, and probably he's another guy who you can you can see coming close to that 100 ranking. Okay. Let's see. Let's hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thanks, everyone, for, uh, for another great episode uh, with Sakib and his experience at Miami Open. Uh, we are looking forward to covering many more tournaments in the future, and that would include some of the Grand Slams. Uh, maybe we'll be at the U.S. Open, Sakib. What do you say? That was the original goal. Like, Federer is ahead of his plan. The plan was to apply for media credentials one day and, uh, you know, like 2018 U.S. Open. But this is all too good. I mean, so, yeah, why not? Let's try for the U.S. Open next. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Have a good night.